going on, everybody? Welcome to another Whiskey Web and Whatnot with myself, Robbie Wagner, and my co-host, as always, Charles William Carpenter III. And our guest today is Mr. Corey Brown. A man of very little consequence, if any, but I'm glad to be here. <laughs> I don't know. You got the internet worked up, and I think that was enough to have you on as a guest. I can't. I did, didn't I? Yeah, yes. I can't wait to get to that and discuss that. But we'll start with a little about Corey. He is, you're at a company now called Omni? Omni? Omni. Omni. Like alumni, but without the L. Yes. So making things there, um, you are my former Padawan turned master. Twice over. Yeah, twice over. And we used to work together at various places, one of those being National Geographic, which people have heard me talk about before. It was uh, a wonderful time in my life. Probably yours too, if you get to work with me. It was great. Yes. Anytime I get to work with you, Chuck, is a joy forever. Mm. As Robbie knows. Oh, so we have a special whiskey this week. It is by a company. Special whiskey. Yeah, special one. Yeah, in quotes. I hope it tastes like Dr. Pepper for you, for your sake. (laughs) I appreciate that. Thank you. Yes. So it's by a company called Spiritless that does non-alcoholic spirits. I think they do gin, some other stuff, but obviously we're more concerned Mm -hmm. with the whiskey here. And it's called the Kentucky 74. I have no idea what the 74 is, but I did read a little about how they make it, which seems interesting. They do like some sort of like accelerated aging thing because... Bourbon typically is four years or older. Rise can be two years or older. This, I guess they do in a matter of hours, some sort of like pressure thing to get the woodiness and some reverse, what was it called? The reverse distilled to reverse distilled, take the alcohol out. So they actually do use a spirit initially. And then, yeah, I guess they use that for like the aging process and everything else. And then they take it away. Yeah. Just kind of nice. You said spiritless. And I swear I heard a whole bunch of future listeners groaning. (laughs) 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 They were like, well, there's one I'm not going to buy. You never know, actually. So, um, you know, sometimes like my, I don't know, I guess not really outing or whatever. For health reasons, my brother can't drink anymore. And he's very excited to try this after um, we have it. Yeah. And they also recommend... Like you can mix it half and half if you like want less alcohol or less calories or like it's it's versatile. Yeah. Without watering it down. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. 13 servings per container. Each two ounces is only 15 calories, which is significantly less than a normal whiskey. I think what it's like two ounces is something like 160 calories or something. It's a decent amount. Holy crap. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say like 80 calories an ounce. Yeah. Yeah. Hold on. I'm going to. Oh, there's the pop. So uh, anyway, as we do, let's get to it. Okay. Woody. Yeah, Woody. Woody is a good indicator. It has a, yeah, it has a woody, leathery kind of smell to me. So let's. It smells like a, like a Chinese sauce. Anyone else getting that? Oh, well. Like General Tso's chicken. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like the glaze, like the sweet and sour <laughs> yeah. kind of glaze. I'm going to, huh. yeah, I'm not going to, not going to affect your opinion. Yeah, huh, is a way to. Hmm. Uh, to be fair, I have nothing to compare this to. Right. Yeah. As a teetotaler, you. Uh, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yes. You, you've got no basis. I can tell you without a doubt, this doesn't taste like whiskey. OK, we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, even a little bit. Yeah, this smell. I would say it does a little bit. It's like 10 percent whiskey ish, I would say. Hmm. I'm going to give you like point 
one percent whiskeyish, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, so this has a little bit of sour to it, like a little bit of like citrusy, and obviously mm-hmm. misses the burning aspect, which is a big part of whiskey normally. So maybe if you mixed it, you would get yeah the nuances there, but which I am going to do. Mm. <laughs> there you go. You have it pure. Yeah, it has like almost like um, you know, like when bubble gum starts to or gum starts to get a little old. And like doesn't have its flavor and it has that whole like, I don't know, I'm getting some of that on the finish Hmm. or like the smell of a tennis ball, a little bit of that taste. To me, it tastes like the smell of a dry erase marker. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I I could get a little of that. It may just feel watered down because there's no alcohol, but it I feel like they need more flavor in it. Like (laughs) if you're going to have no alcohol, make it like punch you in the mouth and not just be like (laughs) some watery flavor. Yeah, a little sugary, little dry erase. <laughs> yeah, but again, having nothing to go on, I I was kind of expecting, I don't know, I don't know why, spice or something. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Spiciness is definitely a quality of whiskey. Yeah, I think it just misses the mark on a few things that you're going to get out of whiskey. So, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what my brother thinks of it. But uh, so, Corey, you you know the the deal. I don't know what you'd be comparing it to, but, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. on a one to eight of, let's just say, for fun, things you would have at a party. Right. How would you rate it against w- those things? Will I be drinking this again on a scale of one to eight tentacles? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, out of sheer novelty, I think I'd give it a five. Wow. I think that's pretty solid. Just because... Uh, I really want to know what all the hubbub is about. And this is about the close I'm going to get. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you should like look up some cocktail recipes and then like make one with this. And then it comes with a book. Oh, yeah. It does. Oh, yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah. So I mixed it with some ginger beer to give it more kick. And it's pretty tasty in that. Like it, it just gives a little bit of a different flavor to the ginger beer. And I like it. Mm. But I think, yeah, on its own, it's definitely made for cocktails, I would say. Not on its own. Mm. Okay. So maybe that's its space. I gleaned just enough of that to hear your recommendation of mixed versus not mixed. <laughs> oh, am I breaking up? A little bit. Mm. For a hot minute, I used to review root beers mm. from all over the place. And uh, there was one root beer that I tried cold and it was just nasty. It didn't taste like anything. It was almost watery. And then I tried it warm and it was delicious. Mm. So, yeah, it did. Environment and what's with can totally change the whole perspective, I'm sure. Yeah. 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 I have to give it a small sip of some kind of mixer. I did not bring any in to uh, give it that opportunity. I'm going to say personally, this is, I'm probably never having this again. (laughs) I'm never going to do this again. I mean, I will be passing this bottle on and it's fine. That's what I was wondering. Like, are you going to hang on to it? Are you going to just like take it into the office as a novelty for other people to try? But it sounds like you would maybe give it a shot. When and if I drink it again, it will be with other people. Yeah. To experience the novelty again with them. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't see I like I'm not going to be sitting in my my office on a lonely Saturday night. You know, yeah. (laughs) like coding away i don't know what i'm doing with my life (laughs) i'm trying to get the balmer peak and uh, keep drinking this it's never happening (laughs) i don't know why not that's so weird yeah so uh i'm giving it a um i'll give it a two i guess i mean it's not like oh my gosh this was disgusting like i'll i'll finish this little bit as not to waste but uh i'm moving on to the real stuff real deal 
Yeah, I think from a branding and price point and novelty perspective, it's pretty cool. So for that, I'm going to give it a three. We are trying another non-alcoholic one in a couple of weeks, I think. Mm. There's only maybe like three or four companies total that make one. Yeah. So we'll see how that one is, if it's similar or not. What is that, do you think? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's a, I don't know, it's a newer trend. I've seen the gins and tequilas as well. So that seems interesting. Mm-hmm. I guess it's a thing. Alrighty. So you give it a three, two, one. So yeah, we should discuss, let's get to the meat of it. All right. Let's talk about how you set the internet on fire. A very small corner, I'm sure. Well, I mean, Eric Elliott decided to chime in. Oh, he did. That's true. That was yeah, yeah. highlight of my career right there. Yeah, some somebody's there. And you wrote an article about how you do not like, or you do not recommend async await patterns. Why I avoid async await. You avoid them. I was trying to be clear that this is just me a pattern that works out well. And that was clearly not conveyed, I think. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of people, I think, that are, I mean, I don't know, using it in various concurrency patterns and uh, are really happy about it. And they're really jazzed that now it exists in Node and all their favorite JavaScript places. So now it's top level. You can use it on the top level. It's great. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Let's take a step back, though. And like, for people that haven't read the post, give us a little synopsis of your feelings and, and thoughts there. Yeah, so it might have helped if I had given some context in the article a little bit. I lean in my in my JavaScript writing, I lean, I inclined functionally. So I like functional style things. I prefer that. It makes more sense to me. So for that reason, I'm I'm drawn towards something like a promise, which is very monadic. And it's in the way it operates. And so I can, I can think in terms of that. And I find that I can break up things into more discrete pieces by venning over the promise multiple times. And because you get the flat map capabilities of a promise, you can easily avoid a lot of the very deep, what I see a lot of people do often, and this is a point I'm making the article, is they'll create this like essentially callback hell of promises. So we had callback hell and then promises were supposed to solve that. And then people just wrote promises as if they were writing callbacks, which is silly. That's what you're doing. Then yeah, of course, async await looks a lot better. (laughs) So I I tried to convey certain ideas as to why I like the promise API for asynchronous activity over async await. And a lot of that, in the past, I've written some functional style articles that don't get any traction. Nobody cares. Like uh, you get people talking functional and they, you get dismissed. I'm also libertarian, so I get dismissed for that too. You know, oh, he's a crazy, he's a crazy libertarian functional programmer. We don't need to listen to him at all. Which, <laughs> 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 you know, I'm used to, that's fine. So I was trying to come at it from a different perspective. And one of the problems I have with async await is that it, with because I do a lot of mentoring too. So I talk to young, you know, new developers, not necessarily young, but new developers who are learning and conceptualizing and, and building up this framework in their mind about how programming works. And what async await does looks remarkably like synchronous code, which is kind of its selling point. But also it's not synchronous. Like there are really important aspects of asynchronicity that are kind of masked over when you make it look 
synchronous and it becomes at least in my experience and my experience is not the totality of everyone's experience but you can tend to make assumptions about the code as if it were synchronous that are not valid simply because it is asynchronous if that makes sense <laughs> i think another thing that uh that tends to happen when you're using it a lot is like you don't really even know what is asynchronous or not you're just going to throw like in a weight on everything just to be safe <laughs> so I, I think the whichever one you like better, I think knowing what is asynchronous and how to handle it is definitely important and not just being like, oh, I don't know. I'll just await everything. That's true. I, I had some conversations with coworkers after this. Um, I'd kind of see uh, where could I have clarified so that I didn't animate people so much in one direction on this. <laughs> <laughs> Because as of this uh, this recording, I have now 62,000 views on Medium on this. That is approximately 61,000 more than my other most popular one. <laughs> right, right. So we're striking while the iron's hot. That's really what this is all about. We're like, maybe we have this guy on. Nope, now's the time. Now's the time. People are talking. <laughs> we want a slice of that 62. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that was i'll be honest with you i for like a week i was i don't know depressed closest thing to depressed i've, I've been i was like wow i do i suck that bad is am i really am i that wrong <laughs> and it happened like people were commenting and i could you know it was fine and then it got on to to hacker news i was like oh i wonder what they're saying and like out the gate it was bad <laughs> it went from like you're an idiot on medium to I feel sorry for this guy. I'm like, what? I don't, what? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't need your pity. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting place to sort of get feedback. Yeah, I'm pretty, I'm a, I'm a lurker on Hacker News. I'm afraid to, like, engage any of that community too much. But boy, do I like reading about other people. So I kind of got that. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of really smart, super opinionated people there, too. But then... So the assumption is that there is a right way. And I think that's the fallacy to the argument to begin with, right? Like, it's not the one way to skin a cat kind of thing. I think um, just regress a little bit back to like a thing you were saying about like just in your experience, right? And like a conversation that we've had a lot, like internally and probably on here a little bit around is like, oh, what are the checkboxes you need to become uh, level up and become just an engineer from a junior engineer or become a senior. What's it take to become senior, right? What are the things that you're able to do that you can check off or what are the, what's the time frame and all of that. And it's really like super ambiguous because I think that like what makes you more senior is just having gone through more things and solved more problems in a successful way. And so I think where you're coming at from it, where I'm where I'm getting at here is that like this is a way that you've been able to solve software problems is by like saying this pattern for me and what I've experienced makes more sense, straightforward, maybe gives readability, maybe, give, you know, some of the things that you said versus the other thing, which have some pitfalls if you don't fully understand. Yeah, it's always hard to convey whenever you you have an opinion about some pattern that you prefer is that there are the discrete and concrete things that you that you can describe. You say, here's why these are good. And you can even describe, here's why, you know, here's some drawbacks to it. What's much, much harder to convey is that when you have this pattern and it fits into a much larger kind of 
conceptual framework in which you work in code, it has this multiplying effect. So if you take this like async await versus promises in isolation all by itself and say all other, all other things don't really matter, but just these two things and look at it that way, it's incredibly subjective and like there, there's no real like you can land and say, oh yeah, def- definitely this is the, the way to go. But if you, then you take it and you say, you know what, I, I generally write functional style JavaScript. I like the monadic patterns. I like functors. I like all this other stuff that fit into a kind of a, a mental model of thinking about programming. And then you say, okay, here's something that looks remarkably like a monad. And here's thing, something that looks remarkably like a statement. It makes a lot of sense that one would drift towards the, the monadic looking thing because that fits well into the paradigm that you're familiar with. So for me, that's really why I lean towards it. And there are other advantages I try to articulate, but those advantages could go away and I'd probably still lean towards it. (laughs) Right, right. Well, you know, and it's just a pattern of personal success, I think, right? It's in the same way that Robbie hates functional components and prefers class-based components. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Because, (laughs) oh, yes, yes, yes. There'll be some very opposite opinions in those things, so... You're jumping around a little here. We have a few more notes around that, but uh, we could jump straight into that if you want. <laughs> no, no. If you've got some things you want to say, I think you should say it. Oh, I get it now. This is a hostile environment. I see. <laughs> <laughs> There's no debate I've ever looped you into, Corey, that isn't hostile. So, and it, for me, it's about the show. <laughs> I just want to like watch, sit back and watch. Watch the world burn. Because I don't care that much. I The more drama, the more listeners. Yeah. And I strive <laughs> to be an overpaid YAML developer in my future, so I don't care. <laughs> nice. Well, I could talk to you about YAML and how terrible it is, but we'll we'll skip that for now. (laughs) Mm -hmm. My big thing for anyone who's jumping in on this episode and hasn't heard me rant on a bunch of other episodes, this was kind of how we've been developing JavaScript. We have frameworks which would fake classes. Like we've got kind of this object that's like a class. It has some things that are class-ish. Everyone's like, I really want classes. Like Java has them. Let's be object-oriented, do all this stuff. Then like years and years go by and we finally get classes and everyone goes, I fucking hate classes. Can we just go back to functional? Like I want functions. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? We've been asking for classes forever and they're so much nicer. I don't have to be like, use thing, use other thing, use a thing to use a thing. I can go like state equals whatever. Like it's so much nicer to just set the thing and it's there. (laughs) So I think uh, you and I might have had a, a little bit of a different experience in the JavaScript world over, over the time. My perception of it is there are there have, have always been essentially two camps of JavaScript. Because JavaScript is like multi-paradigm, you have, you have the people coming into JavaScript from like Java or pick your, pick your object-oriented programming language. And they understandably want to bring what they already know with them into this paradigm. And they see like, wait, you can't make a class, but you have to do this hacky, like weird function and then new it up and it's bizarre. All right, but that's gross. And then you have people come in from like functional paradigms or just uh, procedural paradigms. And they say, oh yeah, functions, I know functions, it's fine. Why do I need to do this new thing? I just do the thing that I'm familiar with. And it divided out, you know, in these camps. And I distinctly remember like, uh, I'm going to date myself a little bit here, but... Um, uh, Douglas Crockford, he would talk about 
JavaScript's uh, prototypal like nature, right? And talk about how prototypes are strictly speaking superior to to classes because you can emulate classes and prototypes. You cannot emulate prototypes and classes. That was his argument. So I kind of came up in that school a little bit where everyone I knew, everyone I was following was like, ah, classes. I mean, it's what we got to deal with now, but hope, you know, hopefully we can have a better system in the future. Don't have to worry about this and, you know, all that other stuff. And then you have this other class, I think championed, I think in large part by, uh, again, names, Ycats, Yehuda. Oh, Yehuda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who has been a huge champion for, for the advancement of classes in the JavaScript language, bringing, you know, championing decorators and, and, private fields and, and all that. And, and it's been fun to watch. It's been interesting. And, and he makes some good arguments. But uh, from my perspective, at least, it's kind of like the other side of JavaScript. <laughs> there's that side and mm. there's this side. And and both seem to be progressing. Like you have the functional advocates that are, are getting things that they're asking for. And you have the class-oriented advocates that are doing the, getting things they advocate for. And in a lot of ways, I think that's fantastic, even though I'm not going to be using the classes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's funny. Yehuda has some very entertaining, like, Twitter battles. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that would make a lot of sense for Robbie since he's uh, still Ember through and through. Yep. Yeah, I thought that was a good tie back into the, the main thrust of the podcast. Right, right. Yeah. But even, even in React, like, I haven't done much React, but I've done some Reacty things, Preact and some Stencil JS and you know, whatever. And I would still prefer to use classes because I, maybe it's just because I don't understand why we need to have like 50 hooks for everything, but I just want to be able to set my state. I don't need to tell you I'm going to set it and how I'm going to set it and what I'm going to do. I just want to set it. (laughs) See, I see hooks as like a simplification of like the redux sagas, thunk, whatever, full application state and reducer actions stuff that started happening that was just highly complicated. And you had to like declare different state in like three different places and track it in all these places and and then dispatch actions so that it could trigger a change in the state and like all these things. So hooks, are, I think, are I mean, they're way more handy in having like local state in your granularly in your components or in your higher order component or whatever so that, hey, I can track what I need right here and I don't have to like go through all this crap. I think the thing to keep in mind, though, is that one of the things that that functional programming attempts to do is to isolate effects, side effects, right? Things that, things that happen outside of the, the function that are observable. And so things like hooks are an attempt to kind of wrap around that and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take these things that happen that, that are visible outside the function and I'm going to kind of keep it right here and tuck it away and keep it separated from everything else. I don't think you're wrong, Robbie, at all in saying that it, it is easier in terms of like writing the code to say this dot state equals this thing, done. What tends to, at least from a, a person of functional influence, would argue is like, that's all well and good, but you can't control, you can't make any guarantees about who is updating that state and where and, and to what and, and all that. And so in an attempt to kind of create those guarantees, you have these mechanisms like hooks and stuff. And to be clear, I think there's, definitely room for improvements on hooks. 
even though I do think it's an improvement over the old class model for React components at least. Who was it? Again, with my name problem, the creator of of Closure, I think, who said that, uh, or maybe I'm misremembering who it was at all, but uh, something along the lines of the uh, shared mutable state is the root of all evil. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what, at least in terms of inside of a class, your various methods that get that have access to this, it's a it's shared mutable state. I think things like private fields and, and private methods and stuff really go a long way in taming that. But not, it's not mathematically pure. It's not mathematically pure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, I don't care about being pure. I care about it being easy <laughs> developer experience-wise. Mm. But I get that a lot of people want to really engineer stuff so hard that it's like <laughs> impossible to do the wrong thing. And that's fine. It's where where you want the the DX to come from. Do you want it to be at authorship time or in production when there's a bug, right? And I think uh, the functional camp wants to say, I'd rather not deal with bugs as much as possible. I'm going to go through a lot of extra effort up front to try to make as many guarantees about there not being any. And that means the developer experience at the front side of it is going to be a little more cumbersome and tedious and mentally taxing. Whereas I think there's a good argument to say, yeah, but maybe that's too much. <laughs> hmm. So essentially saying that, I mean, I think both camps are trying to address that in different ways. So I think that what you're saying is, okay, the functional camp, let's just say like the React, not as a library, but as a framework, they're trying to build it into the API that you can't make those kinds of mistakes if you're following docs in the API. And I think conversely, things like Ember are trying to do it by saying we have a robust testing framework across three different layers, right? And that's another way to prevent bugs potentially as well. As long as like the business contract is followed and you write tests, I think tests are a way to do that versus the framework API. Yeah. I'm not in the business of telling people that they're wrong for preferring object-oriented or class-based anything. It's fine. But, you know, my predilections, my proclivities lie elsewhere personally. And I, and again, I think it's great. I, I've already seen ideas from the object-oriented world come in and benefit the functional world and vice versa, the functional world come in and, and really improve the object-oriented world. So I don't want to see either of them go away, even as I choose to essentially wholly live on one side of it, you know? Yeah, I think that just speaks again. I kind of come back to the the these are patterns in your experience that has yeah. enabled you to write successful software for various companies and successful enough. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, you know, things work. People keep hiring you. I mean, something must be going okay. Or I'm really good at fooling them. Or they're just desperate. Yeah, that could be that too. Yeah, yeah. I think that I think you talk a big big game, but then the output is, Corey, why is it taking you three weeks to change the color of this button? You know we want it red. <laughs> Stop arguing. Well, which red? I'm really trying to figure out which one is the best looking. <laughs> yeah, a hue of red is... What really is red? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what do you mean by red? Red in what language? Rojo? Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm in a real foreign language mode since I recently returned from Europe. Rosso is what it would be in uh, Italian. Raso Bianco Nero. Jedek in Scottish Gaelic. Oh, wow. Are you Scottish? I am, 
but that's not why I'm learning it. It's just interesting to me. Oh, why not Irish Gaelic? I don't know. I don't have a good reason. Hmm. Is it the golf cap? <laughs> Maybe that's it. I don't know. It's the kilts. <laughs> I really want to not be in a kilt. That's what it was. Yeah, sans underwear. <laughs> Any kind of underwear. How would that work out? Yeah, I don't know. I'm only alluding. Yeah. So. <laughs> Having never worn a kilt, I really couldn't tell you what goes on underneath. Yeah. <laughs> That's not an area of Scottish culture that I have studied. Well, you know, dreams can come true. <laughs> yeah. Braveheart tells me that it's uh, very commando down there, but I'm not, I'm not sure that was historically accurate. Yeah. <laughs> Mel took some liberties with various films is what I understand. So. Yeah, it seems like it would be inconvenient right. to have nothing on underneath. Yeah, like especially fighting with swords. I feel like I just want, I don't know, is it going to stop a sword? I don't know, but I don't want to be all out there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you want to keep things close. Yeah, close as possible if there's, you know. <laughs> so the golf cap that you're wearing today makes me think of the, there's a very funny Robin Williams skit about golf. I don't know if you ever heard that, where it's like a Scottish guy and he's describing this game to someone else and like all the crazy things you have to do. You hit it over here and there's trees and sand and you get it out and if you knock it in the water and you start over and blah, blah, blah. And then finally you get it in this hole. Why is he Ukrainian? Because <laughs> when I talk really fast, I can't do all. Also, that's a very explicit, like specific accent that you're picking up from what I'm doing. Yeah. And so they ask him like, okay, and at the end of that, it's all done. And he's like, no, you do it 18 effing times, fucking times. (laughs) And we curse on this podcast. I don't care. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's a really funny one about golf. And that was inspired by your headwear, which I have like 10 of those too. So fine. So Robbie took a note around, you had a post on senior engineers, I think, which dovetails, well, goes nicely from something I brought up earlier about like what makes you senior versus whatever else. Yeah. Being in short supply because the industry is growing so fast. Yeah. That one didn't get nearly as many hits as my other one. But yeah, we can talk about that one. <laughs> I think it's important though. I think it's to say like basically everyone, everyone is becoming a technology company regardless of your output, because they have technology needs and everybody wants a piece of the pie. But obviously there's only so many of us, really. Yeah. And not only that, but um, even as, even if we could meet demand for engineers, you would find that the ratio of people with experience to the people without experience keeps The distance keeps getting bigger. (laughs) Yes, yes. And kind of like what you said before, one of the aspects, and this is something I've I've noticed as well, one of the aspects of a senior engineer, I have known some truly, truly brilliant junior engineers, like shockingly good. Mm -hmm. And I've I've watched, you know, companies promote them to a senior engineer after like three years of doing Mm -hmm. the job. And I'm like, okay, you're, you're clearly have a knack for this. And in, in short order, you're going to be a better engineer than me. I don't doubt. However, like there is something that comes with just like slogging through crap and like failing multiple times, <laughs> just having experiences that I think is absolutely necessary to be senior engineer. Right. And it's hard to quantify that, right? Like that's a big challenge So we're going through like multiple iterations of our career ladder internally. And it's really different for an agency too versus like where I've done it as a manager in larger companies. But even so, like the 
quantifying it explicitly is really tough because like I saw this posted somewhere. I don't know, probably was a tweet or something else like that said, like senior engineers aren't necessarily faster. They've just seen it before. (laughs) And that's really what I think it, right? Like you've just had experiences. You've just happened to have a few different jobs where you've had to do different things, solving different problems or the same problem where you failed before. And this time it went differently. And now you have a little more in your tool belt. It's not that you know React better or that you can basically pump out 16 story points per sprint. Like, it's not any of those things. It's just that you've been there. You know, I t- totally agree. It's it's pattern recognition and a development of a an intuition for saying, you're able to say something like that other people would say, oh, this is a different problem than this other one. But you look at it and say, actually, no, I, I see the similarities and I think the solution is the same even though they appear to be different problems. Yeah. I think only somebody who's been through enough different things is able to do that. I don't care. It almost doesn't matter how innately talented a given engineer is. You just have to go through the experiences. And I'm sympathetic to companies because they are under uh, immense pressure to hire engineers, to pay wages that are like growing faster than inflation. And inflation is growing fast already. Yeah. And people want titles. Because titles give them more money, uh, you know, whether that's good or bad, you know, so you, so you have, they're promoting people who've been in the business for three years to senior engineer because A, they can't hire a senior engineer. Right. If, like for real, it costs too much or they're just not around. And two, like that's the only way you can retain them anyway. And there it is, like hire and or retain and HR. I mean, I've seen this trend over the last 10 years even like I feel like it's accelerating more and more in the last few years. Um, but the, like essentially HR companies will have spent all this time mapping out their pay bands and all this kind of stuff. And the only way you can play this game to either retain or hire someone into a pay band that they want is to say, great, we're just going to elevate their title in order to make it work. Whether it matches that or not, like this is the game, this is the shell game we've got to play to get people in the door, but then, and good people and well-meaning and all that kind of stuff. And I can't like fault them for playing into that because why wouldn't you? But you're not getting the same thing. So it's like, I'm desperate to have a senior engineer. I'm having to hire someone at two or three years of experience into that to meet their wage demands. But now when I need them to like be a senior engineer and maybe lead another team, they can't do it. They can't do it. Yeah, absolutely. So then what am I, you know? Yeah. And my thinking on this is that like, I'm not going to be able to do anything about this in terms of telling people, you know, stop promoting people too soon. That's not going to happen. No. And market forces are just way like, that's just, and plus it's just me. Like nobody cares about me. I'm, I'm nobody. Nobody cares about any of us. We're one individual, regardless of whether we're Yehuda or Corey Brown or whatever else is <laughs> that, you know, one versus the many. And the market is getting flooded and is going to continue to get flooded because the demand is there. And anyone with like a bit of aptitude and interest in this job market would obviously go get a piece of that pie. So then what? Yeah. Two thoughts on that. First, that is the first and last time my name will ever be mentioned in the same sentence as Yehuda Katz. And I am grateful for it. I'll (laughs) cherish it forever. (laughs) And two, the conclusion I came to is the only thing I can really do is like, if this is how it's going to be, this is how it's going to be. I guess what I can do is attempt to impart as much information as I have to as many people as I can 
as quickly as I can mm-hmm. in a meaningful way. And so, yeah, that little post was just, uh, hey, I'm just looking for people to mentor. I know a lot of people are looking for mentors. Yeah, Come talk to me. I got a handful of people that I was working with. And I was thinking, hey, maybe I could turn this into business and quickly learn. No, I don't want to do that at all. But I do like mentoring. I was going to say, you could do it. And there's an opportunity there, I think. I could. In fact, one of my one of the people I'm mentoring has some really good ideas around that. So I'm like, hey, let's, yeah. let's stay together here for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Why not? And see what we can do. Commoditize that in some way, in a way that you uh, enjoy doing it, too. It's not a time suck. Because you have a full-time job. Yeah, I do. But the important thing here is, you know, that it's, it's valuable and useful. And so um, I think it has been for the, the very small handful of people I've been working with. Hopefully I can inspire other people who are properly grizzled senior engineers to kind of take that on themselves too. Because I think it's important for us to, we're in no danger at all of being supplanted and replaced by all of these fresh young people coming into the business. There's so much work to do. I'm not concerned about that at all. But if you have any hope of going to your ne- whatever your next job is and entering a code base that is at all like reasonable, then we need to we need to start training our junior engineers. And unfortunately, businesses are not investing in that for whatever reason. And so it's on us to do that. Yeah. Well, so something that I said earlier around how like every company is a tech company now. Right. And, but they're not understanding the structure of that quite well. And because naturally, as a senior engineer who goes further in their career, unless you become an architect, but I would argue even an architect versus a lead has responsibility to the company and to the team that are embracing their plans to help them understand how to execute, right? They're not the hands to execute, but you need to understand. So there's a level of that. A lead on any team automatically has mentorship responsibility. They don't have managerial responsibility, which has to do with like success paths and growth and all those kinds of things. But a manager also has that. So there's like a lot of it around is that you need to understand that you're building teams where experience needs to be conveyed, shared, and supported. So you should be in teams where the workload that you take on is everybody. So a junior engineer just gets the bugs and blah, 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 and they're off on an island. Like, that's bullshit. The reality is, is that everything that comes into your team's workload is everyone's responsibility. So we don't care about assigning responsibility. We're all going to get this done together. And you figure out ways to do that. So your lead engineer comes in and like says, let's do pairing and mob sessions and multiple, multiple minds, one set of hands. Let's get this done. And that's how people learn. That's how you accelerate. Yeah. Companies would be wise to take their senior engineers and make them as much as they're willing to be made. Leads like you're talking about where they're not going to be responsible for actually like directly responsible for outputting stuff. Their job is to to pair, to mob, to be there around the others as much as possible and talking with them and, and coaching them, whatever. Yeah. The fallacy is that like my senior engineer gets the most story points done. And that's why I want four seniors on my team. And like, that's, so it's a misnomer around velocity and some other things, but like you have the brain and experience here, and then you have a team of hands. I think it was Eric Elliott who said, 
long before he he criticized my post, which I appreciated. <laughs> it was it was a great uh, response. But I wonder if he likes whiskey. You should hit him up. Yeah, you should. <laughs> but he, I think he said something along the lines of it, back when people were everyone was talking about 10x engineers for a hot minute. Yeah, and he said 10x engineer is not someone who did ten times the work of a regular engineer. A 10x engineer is the one who enables five other engineers to go twice as fast. Mm-hmm. That's what a 10x engineer is. And that, that resonated with me. I'm like, yeah, that's exactly right. So a large chunk of the last several years of my career has been a diminished focus on producing stuff directly and more in enabling others to produce more quickly. And the fact that I was, I've been fortunate enough at two different companies I've been at to, to start up a team whose whole job is dedicated to removing roadblocks and establishing patterns that enable acceleration um, on the product level for others. Yeah, that's a smart thing. Yeah, I've uh, been a part of that on one client where it's essentially it was a platform team, which would take out of band items like upgrading packages, upgrading node versions, exactly right. getting perf metrics and finding nuances there to improve the application performance wise, like all that kind of stuff that can go out of band from the normal feature bug work but still like move the needle on things. And yeah, writing RFCs to communicate across the company. And then we did like a DX portal called Backstage, but there's a few now starting to become like kind of a hot thing. So Backstage is the open source Spotify one. And it basically like, oh, it's a big company with a lot of tech, a bunch of services that are disparate. Nobody understands what they learn. So you have a catalog there. You can spin up new sandbox environments. You can... That's another thing. Oh, yeah, we get a lot of like metrics on like what's deployed, what were the recent performance runs, stuff like that. Mm. And then anyone in the org can like go there, one stop shop, get this kind of info. That's cool. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. So we should probably pivot to some not tech stuff at some point here. Some what not should be what not. <laughs> yeah. This is where I'm going to be really weak, I'm afraid. So uh, I'll, I'll do my best. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You don't have another life. I don't. It's sad. It's because you don't have a drinking problem. <laughs> the cause of and solution to all of life's problems. Yeah. Yeah. I'm certain I'd be more uh, productive <laughs> than Yehuda if it wasn't for whiskey. <laughs> Unless he, I find out he drinks a lot of whiskey and then I'll be like, ah, oh, just not that great. <laughs> what I want to know is where currently lies your obsession with Dr. Pepper? So... I have been drinking Dr. Pepper in absurd amounts since high school. In college, I was drinking two, sometimes three, 44 ounces a day. And this is the, this is the hard <laughs> stuff, right? This is the regular Dr. Pepper. Yeah. This is, were you doing like Dr. Pepper cake stands, basically? Yeah. <laughs> I have a huge problem. And then I hit 30 and uh, my body was like, hey, all that sugar? Nah. Yeah. And so I, I reluctantly transitioned to diet Dr. Pepper. Which tastes just as good, in, in my opinion. Well, it took me quite a long time to actually grow accustomed to it. I had uh, kind of like a, you know, Wesley and the Princess Bride. I built up a tolerance over several, about seven years <laughs> dealing with it because the aspartame did not <laughs> suit me well. And eventually one day I realized, oh, crap, I don't really enjoy regular Dr. Pepper at all. It's too ugh, heavy. Yeah. And I really like the Diet Dr. Pepper. <laughs> and then almost immediately after I realized, but I don't like Diet Dr. Pepper as much as I used to like regular Dr. Pepper. So I'm like, oh, crap, now I've, I've lost a little bit of joy in life, mm. but I can't go back. <laughs> so. Oh, that's it. Yeah. 
<laughs> so there we go. That's where it lies. Like sometimes, basically, not as much. No, no, no. So multiple times a day. Hmm. So still, I can remember on your desk, you having multiple two liters of Dr. Pepper. Currently, right now at my desk at work that I'm only in there like, you know, two or three times a week. One of the 32 can case underneath my uh, mm-hmm. my desk and a little mini fridge that holds six hmm. cans at a time. When I got there, you know, one of the perks a lot of places have is, you know, they, they bring in food and stuff. And we got we got our food from Costco and don't have Diet Dr. Pepper in there. So one of the first things I said, I asked is like, hey, do you think we could get Diet Dr. Pepper? And for whatever reason, reasons that don't understand, the answer was no, hmm. because Costco didn't supply it in the way that we get our, I don't know, doesn't matter. Hmm. My manager very, very kindly brought in a case for me, just for me, and put it on my desk. Uh-huh. Here you go. So uh, yeah, it's still a horrible, horrible nightmarish joke. <laughs> We all have our things. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Clearly, we all have our things. I cracked this. Yeah. We bought an entire barrel of whiskey. Yeah. I have a, like a hundred and something bottles of whiskey in my house right 126. now. 126. 126 wow. bottles of whiskey at my house right now. That's impressive. Delivered like two days ago or yesterday, I guess. Yeah. Every day starts to meld together when you drink this stuff. <laughs> so there's that. And uh, I'm popular at parties now. By parties, I mean Rand's leadership slack. I posted a picture of like all these cases of whiskey in front of my house. And people were like, I want to go to there. <laughs> so That's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't, I don't have many hobbies outside of uh, this. But one thing I have mentioned earlier that I have started doing, and I am kind of passionate is the right word, but maybe very consistent on as over the last four or so years i've been learning scottish gaelic Mm. and it's weird i understand that my wife often tells me like why why not pick a language that people use (laughs) yeah like we could travel there and you could actually use it yeah Yeah. literally almost anything else but you pick the one that like fifty thousand people in the world actually speak fluently (laughs) <laughs> so where in Scotland do they still speak it? So it's still spoken natively in uh, a lot of the parts of the Outer Hebrides and the Highlands. Okay. But what's really interesting is Duolingo introduced a Scottish language course a couple uh, several years ago. And there was a huge amount of people that, that joined it. There's now, I, th- I think it's now over a million, but a couple of years ago it was like 500,000 people we're learning Scottish Gaelic, whereas 50,000 people in the world spoke it. So like 10 times the number of people native huh. speak it for learning it. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I've only been to Edinburgh and uh, I mean, I don't think they speak it there. The vast majority of Scottish people, if you try to go up and, and talk to them in Gaelic, they're like, <laughs> yeah. they'd swear at you and tell you what's going on, what's, what's wrong with you. But you wouldn't understand what they're saying, especially if they're from Glasgow. Yeah. Glaswegian, I don't understand what they're saying. <laughs> There's a video I saw a while back. I have a jammy doja. Yeah, jammy doja. So you, you, I know what you're referring to. I want a jammy doja. Yes, I was yeah. going to bring that up with the, with the, what's his name? 300 dude. Gerard Butler. Oh, God. Talking to Siri. Yeah. I think it was what it was. Uh, like, I don't understand. <laughs> I want a jamming dodger. I want a jamming dodger. They always sound like they're almost vomiting. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry for our Glasgow listeners. Love you guys. There may be some. There might be. 
I just offended them. We have some Irish ones. <laughs> yeah. And Robbie's like, please don't offend our listeners. <laughs> and as we talk about the show notes each time, he's like, yeah, I don't know. I don't. Th- can you just not offend our listeners? And I'm like, listen. That's why they come. Yeah. That my job in life has been to offend Corey for, yes. I don't know, what, 14, <laughs> 15 years so far. So, But you do it in such a way that you, you want to be bad, but you can't, you know. And I'm so charming and he keeps coming back. I don't know. I'm getting older, though. Some would say more handsome. <laughs> Somewhat. Is that you? Yeah, I say it. George Clooney and I are from the same area, and I feel like we both just get more handsome with age. I'm sure that's it. Not to bring it back into tech, but I have made a habit of... So I, I occasionally speak at conferences. Mm. Or I should say, occasionally, people make the mistake of allowing me to speak at conferences. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I have, I've had a habit for several years now of starting every, every talk I give with a brief introduction to Scottish Gaelic because that's literally the only way I get to use it yeah is there some recordings you should share that maybe we'll put it in links in the show notes or something there are there are a handful Uh, I've been fortunate enough to speak at uh, Utah JS conference most of the past six years Hmm. and most of those I have a little intro in Scottish Gaelic well that's how Kent should have known you if you gave me that hint, that would have helped a lot. <laughs> I had this challenge when Kent was on and Corey was like, if you can get him to remember me and say my name without too much prodding, like, blah, blah, blah. and I, I totally screwed it up. Well, I knew you would. Yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> I screw things up. No, no uh, th- there was that. I was pretty sure that was going to happen anyway. But at best, I could describe my acquaintance with Kent C. Dodds uh, as, well, that an acquaintance. Mm-hmm. And not much more that. I mean, he's a man who has so much more time than the rest of us. He does so much more with his time. Yeah, well, I mean, you're very dedicated to your craft as well, and I have no idea how he do does all those things. I'm pretty sure he uses OpenAI to write most of his content. I thought you were going to say you're pretty sure he uses opium, and I would have not blinked at that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> It's got to be some kind of drug to keep him going that fast. Wait, 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 wait. We, we need to keep our celebrity guests happy. So, uh, Kent, I don't know what this man is saying. I <laughs> definitely never said that. I'm sure he doesn't. He's high on life. I'm quite sure. I'm sure you're going to listen to this episode. Episode as you do everyone yeah. over eggnog, and I never thought that. Yeah, he just operates on a higher plane than than the rest of us. Like a lot of these people that they get so much done, just just are on a different level. I like the idea of you don't solve problems, you solve categories of problems, and he's just like solving the categories of the categories. All right. So, yeah. Have you tried Remix yet? I have. I built a little test app in it just because I wanted to know, like, everyone's really hot on this thing. I want to try it out. I've always been a fan of React Router. I think it's a fantastic tool, and this is uh, largely an extension of that. Mm-hmm. I'm watching it very closely. I-, I love to see Next, like, kind of be like, whoa, we got to get off our butts and start, uh, you know, start seeing some things that Remix was doing is now coming in the next. And I, I expect you can see the other, other thing happen. Right. They're going to push each other a little bit. I kind of enjoy that because I think next is an incredible tool and it takes a whole bunch of thinking out of it. You just like follow those simple patterns and then all of a sudden you have a full stack app. Yeah, it's amazing. Add, OR, you know, your ORM of choice, API routes, boom, done. Really easy. Yeah. That's great. Except for... You have to use hooks, Robbie. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. I'm in no danger of using Next.js ever. So, <laughs> Right. So, yeah, Robbie's starting with a new client that is entrenched in 
Ember for the foreseeable future. And they are doing pretty well financially, so I think they'll be around for a while. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you what, if you happen to run into a scenario where you get a client and they're like, we use Elm, mm-hmm. and you're like, crap, we don't have anyone who knows Elm, I would consider moonlighting on Elm. Oh, okay. Hmm. Elm is cool. People do like Elm. Yeah. yeah. It's stuck around yeah. for a while. I'm pretty surprised. We also want to try Redwood. Tom Preston Warner was on the show. And I think that uh, it's an interesting tool for your like pre-seed startup kind of thing. Like, let me get some shit together real quick. Yeah, it seems to be kind of aiming to be the, the JavaScript answer to Rails. Because mm-hmm. Rails is really known for like, you want to you start something up fast and just make it happen and you don't have to think too much about it. Rails is the way to go. We already have that. It's Ember. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. We've had it for 10 years. It's hilarious, <laughs> though, but Ember's not full stack, so that's the dif- differentiator there. Ember's kind of like the uh, the Opera Opera browser of, of uh, like <laughs> frameworks, where it's like everyone <laughs> likes it in principle. No one uses it in practice. <laughs> <laughs> Except for Apple. Yeah. <clears throat> what? <laughs> and LinkedIn, I guess. HashiCorp. Yeah. It's hilarious that Tom is a Rails guy who basically jumped right to React and ended up making Redwood without even know, yeah. knowing that like Ember really existed. He's like <laughs> yeah. the, the one guy. And all of his marketing is like straight from the Ember docs, basically. But he did, apparently didn't read them or use Ember ever. But it's all the exact same like, stuff. He basically built full stack Ember without even knowing it existed. Yeah. It's hilarious. <laughs> but I want to use Redwood to build an app for doing uh, managing the co-working space. Uh, I think that's a great use case. So I'm going to try it out and see how it is. Cool. But anyway... We're at time here. Yeah. And Corey doesn't know we have a co-working space, by the way. No, didn't know that. Oh. It's fantastic. I love it. Well, we do. I am there now. Maybe our listeners didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> 1787. Yo, if you find yourself in Middleburg, Virginia, first of all, I'm going to say, why are you here? Which most people won't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then the second bit is, why not stop by the cool Fox place? Mm-hmm. But yeah, is there any last stuff you'd like to plug or anything you want to mention before we end here? So I'm on... I'm on things, mostly Twitter. <laughs> My handle on things is at unique name, U-N-I-Q-N-A-M-E. I don't engage much on anything. And honestly, <laughs> the response to my why avoid async await has not changed that at all for me. I'm unlikely to engage with anyone <laughs> who comes at me with anything <laughs> other than, I love you and I wrote... No, not even that. Yeah, we want to avoid (laughs) depression before you chug that whole bottle of non-alcoholic whiskey. (laughs) So there's that. I do enjoy talking to people who enjoy talking. I don't enjoy talking to people who enjoy just not engaging intellectually with anything. Mm. Yeah. I have a website, 365jsthings.tech. There you go. You got that. Yeah, I got that. That's a thing. I'm nothing, honestly, nothing interesting. <laughs> People who have listened know that I have this strange obsession with Hot Ones. And so I love how he ends it where he's like, tell the people what you got going on. This camera, this camera, this camera, even though this is just audio. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Only thing I would say further is, oh, I forgot to do this when we poured this. Oh, I apologize. Slanchiva. Cheers. And God. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And... One last thing also, I guess. One, one, one last, last thing. One, one more. Yes, one, one more. Whiskey is actually, the word whiskey comes from Scottish Gaelic for whiskey, which is uh, which means the water of life. There you go. Agree. 
Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening. If you liked it, please subscribe and we'll catch you guys next time. Thanks for listening to Whiskey Web and Whatnot. This podcast is brought to you by ShipShape and produced by Podcast Royale. If you like this episode, consider sharing it with a friend or two and leave us a rating, maybe a review, as long as it's good. You can subscribe to future episodes on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For more info about ShipShape and this show, check out our website at shipshape.io.